Welcome to another edition of Fair Territory. I am back from Los Angeles, ready to go, and I want to talk about, for starters, the best player in the game right now. You can argue it. Maybe it's Acuna. You can always argue Otani, but Aaron Judge right now is, well, as Joe Davis described him on Fox after he ran through the fence the other day, Superman. You might have seen that play. It was an amazing play. Great catch. Maybe not his best catch of the road trip. He had another one in Seattle that was amazing. But, yes, the fence did open. And I want to show you, for starters, a photo because the injury that Judge suffered, if it's an injury to his right big toe, is kind of a concern as we tape on Monday morning. Now, you see at the bottom of the fence, there is kind of a stone curb there. That's where Judge's toe went in and collided with that curb. And that is what caused the issue. Now, earlier this season, Jazz Chisholm of the Marlins suffered a similar kind of problem. Right big toe, turf toe, running into the wall at the Marlins ballpark in Miami, Lone Depot Park, the greatly named Lone Depot Park. And after that, the Marlins and MLB worked to increase the padding on some of the exposed areas. And I wonder if the outcome of all this is going to be that the Dodgers somehow figure out a way to pad some of those areas where they've got that stone curb. Not good. But let's hope Judge is healthy. We never want to see a player hurt, any player hurt, good, bad, indifferent. That's the start. The other part of this, of course, he is looking like, again, the Aaron Judge of 2022. And keep in mind, he was just May player of the month, even though he missed the start of the month with a strained hip. So here's a guy who played, I don't know how many games, but it wasn't as many as he might have played in May. He was out something like April 28th to May 8th, and yet he still won Player of the Month. He's carried this into June. He has 19 homers. He is playing exquisite defense as well. And the reason for all this, the reason why he is surging the way he has and the way he has in the past, check out what he is doing with regard to his plate discipline. I want to show you his chase rates this season compared to the previous two. Now, he has always had great discipline, but look, it's getting even better. 2021, chase rates 23.7%, 22, 22.9%, and this year, a career low, 20.2%. And when I asked him in the postgame interview about this the other day, he said, that's the whole key. If I swing at the pitches that are the most inviting for me, pitches in the zone, I'm going to be okay. And yes, he has been okay. Now, you might have seen some graphics and some different things over the past few days comparing 2022 to 2023, basically indicating he's hitting home runs at the same rate. Well, he is, but if you're talking about pace and you're talking about whether he can hit again 60-plus, You've got to look at the number of team games. And I want to show you here where he is through 61 games. That's what the Yankees have played compared to last year. A little bit fewer home runs. Five fewer, actually. OPS is even higher. That's amazing. So he is off to a great start. Let's hope he is healthy. That's the main thing. But that was an amazing catch. That was an amazing game he had on Saturday. Did not play in the Sunday night game last night. But we'll see what the outcomes of his imaging are today. One more note on Judge. Now, you might have noticed that when I interviewed Judge Saturday, if you were watching or if you picked up on this on Twitter, 
He's a little taller than me. 14 inches, probably, to be exact. And whenever this happens, whenever I interview Aaron Judge, or frankly, any player who's tall, pretty much everybody but Altuve, people take notice on Twitter. This year, or this particular game, was a little bit different because SI.com chose to collect some of the glorious tweets about my height and his height and run a little story about them. Now, I don't know if this is a secret to you guys, but being short is not a new condition for me. It's something I've basically been my whole life. I was never one of these guys who was tall and then everybody caught up to me. No, I was always way behind. And in Dodger Stadium, the way the camera angle works, people were saying, ah, the cameraman did you an injustice. No, the camera is set in a certain spot. It's actually right above the surface of the field. So it has to look up to catch an interview like that when I interview Aaron Judge or any other player. And that's why the discrepancy in height looked even greater than it was. So with that, there it is. You saw the SI story. My favorite line in this story, Rosenthal claims to be five foot four and a half tall on his Twitter bio. And I said, claims like I would brag about that. I'm not bragging about being five foot four and a half. Aaron Judge is six seven and Actually, I got a text from a former player after this whole thing went down, and the former player said, Ken, he dwarfs all of us, and he does. So, Yankees, great weekend at Dodger Stadium. They win two of three. But now I want to talk about a team that has been, to me, the biggest surprise in baseball and is the hottest team in baseball right now. 24-9 and nine since the start of play on April 28th. That is the best in the majors. I am talking about a team that is on a 106-win pace. That would be a franchise record. A team that is only two and a half games behind the Rays for the best record in the majors. If you haven't guessed by now, I'm talking about the Texas Rangers. New manager Bruce Bochy. They brought in a number of free agent starting pitchers to add to what they brought in last year, which was Semyon and Seager and John Gray. And my goodness, they are playing great. They have been a team that offensively, has just been absolutely astonishing with what they have done. And I want to show you the difference or the lead that they have in runs per game over every other team in the majors. It's simply astonishing. Look at that. Texas at 6.48 runs per game. That is more than a half run per game ahead of Tampa Bay. That's crazy. 6.48 runs per game is crazy considering they were without Corey Seager. Look at that. For almost a month, Corey Seager, one of the best offensive players that they have, they had Ezekiel Duran step in for him. He did great. And they've just gotten contributions from all kinds of people. They've also been without Mitch Garver for most of the season. He just came back. Leotis Tavares, he has become a really good player for them. They are just clicking at an incredibly high rate. Josh Young at third base. New players, old players, they've done it. The other thing that stands out about them they're starting pitching. Here's a team that loaded up in the offseason, right? DeGrom, Avaldi, Heaney. But they haven't had DeGrom since April 28th. He has made only six starts all season, and yet the Rangers are third in the majors in rotation ERA. This might be one of the most stunning stats of the season. Third behind Tampa Bay and Houston. Both have great rotations, of course. Nathan Ivaldi is a huge part of that. He's been a key for them. But they've also had Dane Dunning, 
step in for DeGrom. Remember Dunning? He was acquired in the Lance Lynn trade a few years back. Just a stellar performance all around by the Rangers. And really hats off to them because offensively in particular, I don't know that many people expected this. And if you look ahead to the rest of the season, they've got a fairly forgiving schedule coming up. Some lesser opponents, lesser caliber opponents. They crushed the Mariners over the weekend. They are up three and a half on the Astros. They're up eight and a half on the Angels. They're up nine and a half on the Mariners. Ryan Divish wrote in the Seattle Times that it looks like the division race might be over for the Mariners. I don't know if I'd go that far, but my goodness, the Rangers have done some incredible things. And over in the NL West, there is another team doing incredible things. And I'm not talking about the Dodgers. We talk about the Dodgers all the time. And actually, we're going to talk about them more again a little bit later in the show. No, I am talking about the team that is tied with them for first place. That would be the Arizona Diamondbacks. 15-7 and seven since May 12th. That's tied for the best in the majors. And it's funny about the Diamondbacks. With the Rangers, you can see... They are a statistically dominant team right now. The Diamondbacks, not so much. They've been really good, but if you break them down, look at their profile, where they are ranking runs per game, stolen base percentage, rotation ERA, bullpen ERA. Okay, the stolen base percentage is really good. The runs is a bit surprising, right? Lourdes Gurriel having a great year, his best season. Corbin Carroll, Rookie of the Year candidate, probably the Rookie of the Year, period. They have some other guys doing some big things. Cattell Marte had a big May. That trade they made, Varsho for Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Gabriel Moreno, it's turned into a really good trade for them. Moreno looks like a solid, solid catcher. So offensively, yes, they've done some good things. From a pitching standpoint, they've got two aces at the top. I'm kind of reluctant to call Merrill Kelly an ace, but he's pitching like an ace. Zach Cowan is certainly an ace. Zach Cowan is one of the best pitchers in baseball. So they've got those two guys. They've got some younger guys behind them. Now, Zach Davies is back. That should help them a little bit stability-wise. But I look for the Diamondbacks possibly, and I say possibly, to be aggressive at the deadline because they've got some depth with their outfield. And maybe with one of their younger outfielders, they can get a younger pitcher. Seattle, for instance, is a team with a plethora of younger pitchers. So... The Diamondbacks are in good shape here. I don't know that they can catch the Dodgers. I don't know that they're as good as the Dodgers. Run differential suggests that they aren't, and we'll see over the course of the season how this plays out. When you're depending on young pitching, when you have a questionable bullpen, these things tend to get you at some point. But the Diamondbacks have played great. They extended Torrey Lovello to, or through 2024 over the weekend. Well-deserved. Here's a team that, in 2021, lost 110 games, folks. They've come back. They've got a bright future. Two of the top prospects in the game are in development. The shortstop, Jordan Lawler. The outfielder, Drew Jones, the son of Andrew Jones. They've got these young pitchers. Brandon Fought, all of these different guys. Dre Jameson, Ryan Nelson. I can go through them. So I'm excited about this team. The problem is, when I've been excited about this team in the past, they've always burned me. To the point where their general manager, Mike Hazen, he has told me, don't write about us ever again. Because when I write about them, often they go south. So I haven't written about them yet. In 2019, I did it. It kind of sputtered. In 2021, I did it early in the season, and then they lost 110. 
So I told Mike Hazen the other day, it would be journalistically irresponsible of me to ignore you, to not write about you. And he said, please don't. So I'm not writing about them yet, but I am talking about them here today on Fair Territory. Time now for the Inside Dish. This is the segment where I go inside a story I've written or take you deeper into something that I have found interesting, something that is going on in the game that you might not know about. And this one today falls into the latter category, something you might not know about, and something I didn't know about until I was around the Dodgers a couple of times in the last several weeks. And when I was around them, their people, their front office people especially, were really excited about their double-A rotation. Yes, their double-A rotation. We've seen some of their younger pitchers. Bobby Miller on Sunday Night Baseball, brilliant. Michael Grove pitched Saturday. He was pretty good for the Dodgers. Gavin Stone, we've seen him. Ryan Pepio currently injured, but this is their next wave of starting pitching. Well, they have a wave behind that, and that wave has implications, obviously, for their future, both for their major league club and, perhaps more intriguingly, for the trade deadline. So I want to show you who these guys are and how they are performing. It's rather amazing what they're doing. These are the six starters that they've used. Nick Frasso, Emmett Sheehan, River Ryan, Landon Knack, Kyle Hurt, and Nick Nestrini. Look at those ERAs. Their rotation ERA in the Southern League is about a run and a half per nine innings ahead of the next best rotation ERA. It's astonishing. And people might say, oh, well, the Dodgers, they spend all this money, they get all these players. Huh. It's not that big a deal. Not that impressive. Well, actually, let's show you how they acquired each of these guys because it is impressive what they have done. This is not a situation where they're simply spending in the draft or spending internationally. Not that you can do that anyway with the restrictions that are on there. Or a situation where they're using these really high picks to get where they want to be. They don't get high picks, the Dodgers. They're winning every year, so they're drafting low. And look at this. The first three guys in this list, Landon Knack, Nestrini, and Sheehan. They're draft picks, but the highest pick was Landon Knack, a second rounder. The other two guys, not high picks at all. Then look at the bottom three names on that list. Kyle Hurt, River Ryan, Nick Frasso. Those players essentially came in minor trades. Hurt for Dylan Florio, River Ryan for Matt Beatty, Nick Frasso for Mitch White. Some of these deals were a little bit bigger, but you get the idea. So it's really impressive that the Dodgers have this next wave coming, and it's a tribute to their development, as well as their drafting in certain cases, that they've been able to make these guys into prospects. All, I believe, are in their top 30. So here we come with the deadline approaching. And you might say, okay, well, this gives the Dodgers some prospect power, and it does. And it also gives them depth for the future when they are building their own rotation. Hey, Orius is a free agent at the end of the year. Don't know if they'll resign him. Kershaw eventually will retire, hopefully later rather than sooner. But they're going to need pitching as we go along, like all teams need pitching. And what's interesting about the Dodgers also, when we talk about the deadline, they've traded prospects at the deadline before, traded pitching prospects. Now, they've made a number of deals at the deadline in recent years, some better than others, some have worked out, some have been just okay. But in those deals, they've traded a bunch of guys. And you can see some of the names here. And the guys I've highlighted, Montas, Kramer, and Josiah Gray, those are really the only 
players they've lost that have kind of haunted them. And I wouldn't even say they've haunted them. Montas went in a deal for Josh Reddick and Rich Hill. Actually, Grant Holmes was the principal attraction in that deal for Oakland. He did, never really worked out. The U Darvish trade, well, Willie Calhoun's doing okay for the Yankees now. A.J. Alexi was the pitcher in that deal. He never really did anything. Dean Kramer is doing well for the Orioles now. He's the one guy out of the Machado trade that has actually worked out. Josiah Gray, well, they gave him up for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, along with Kbert Ruiz, who, of course, has become a really good catcher, signed long-term. And then last year, I only mentioned this one because Clayton Feeder is a pretty good prospect for the Yankees. So the point is, the Dodgers are not afraid to trade prospects at the deadline, and they've got this prospect power to kind of do what they want once the deadline hits. Now, we're going to talk a little bit later about starting pitching at the deadline and whether you can get it and the scarcity that I believe will exist. So that's going to limit the Dodgers if indeed a starting pitcher is what they want. And that probably is what they will want, given the injuries that they've been dealing with. But at the same time, things will happen. Things will change over the next seven or eight weeks and pitchers might become available that we did not expect. If that happens, and we probably can expect it to happen, the Dodgers will be well positioned. They've got it really going on development-wise. It is impressive. All right, here we go with the dude and dork of the week. The dude this week is maybe a non-traditional choice, but it's the only possible choice. Sarah Langs of MLB.com, one of the great researchers our game has ever known, and one of the great people, too. And, of course, I would imagine that if you're watching us today, listening to us, you know who Sarah Langs is. She is a young woman who, shockingly, was diagnosed with ALS not long ago. And on Lou Gehrig Day over the weekend, she was honored throughout baseball. People paid tributes to her. And the reason for that is not simply because she has this disease and not simply because she's a researcher in Major League Baseball. It's because of who she is. Sarah Langs is one of these people who I would call a ray of light. And the way she has handled her diagnosis and gone forward, continuing to work for one thing, and not only that, but raising awareness and money for ALS research and expressing this unbelievable outlook, this positive outlook, when, of course, she is facing the most negative thing imaginable. And the amazing thing about Sarah, we all know her for her trademark phrase, baseball is the best. But that enthusiasm, that enthusiasm which she carries into her work, she has carried it into this fight. And that is what I love about her. I'll tell you a brief story about Sarah. I have not worked with her very often. I'm not an ESPN person, and that's where she started. But at MLB Network, our paths crossed a few times. And the first time I was ever on with her, her enthusiasm for the game was just kind of bursting out of the screen. And I told her after we were on together, when the segment was over, I said, Sarah, we don't really know each other, but I'm going to give you the biggest compliment I can possibly give you. Your enthusiasm reminds me of Peter Gammons. It's that kind of passion for the game that you have, and I love it. And that kind of passion and that kind of enthusiasm and that energy she has brought it to this fight, and that is why she is unquestionably the dude of the week. And I'm going to give an honorable mention to her friend, Mandy Bell. Mandy is Sarah's best friend. She covers the Guardians for MLB.com. 
she has been by Sarah's side throughout this. And if you saw her story in written form on MLB.com about Sarah on Lou Gehrig Day or the even more powerful video that she did in honor of Sarah, it just shows true friendship. And it hasn't been easy for Mandy either. She has not been that public a person until now. And now she is supporting her friend in the most public way imaginable. So these two women, Sarah Langs and her friend Mandy Bell, they are without question the kinds of people we should all aspire to be. Now, Dork of the Week, we get back to the more mundane baseball stuff here. And my Dork of the Week, well, it could be the Red Sox for that ridiculous defensive lapse yesterday, almost team-wide, that enabled Yanni Diaz to circle the bases with a Little League home run. It could be the Red Sox. But I'm actually going to go with someone that I have a lot of fondness for, a ton of respect for. It's the Mets manager, Buck Showalter. Now, that game Saturday against the Blue Jays, tie score, ninth inning, runner on second, base open. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at the plate. Now, I know he hasn't been that hot this year. Kevin Biggio on deck. Kevin Biggio is not the hitter that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is. And yet, Buck Walter chose not to walk Guerrero. Guerrero hits a double. Mets lose 2-1. Now, what Buck said afterward, and Buck always has a reason for what he does, just like every manager does, and Buck is one of the smartest, most prepared managers, one of the best at running a bullpen. But he said afterward he was trying to set it up for the 10th because if you get Guerrero out in the 9th, you go to the 10th, then you have Kevin Biggio leading off. It's a better situation. Okay. I get it. But you got to get to the 10th. And they didn't get to the 10th. Now, I'm giving Buck Dork of the Week because that decision, I didn't get it. Whatever. The real issue, though, is the most expensive team in baseball history cannot score. The Mets are 20th in the majors in runs per game. 20th! That is astonishing. And Joel Sherman of the New York Post, my friend, who I have a ton of respect for, wrote a column today basically saying, maybe this is who they are. I don't think this is who they are, but over 162 games, we learn who these teams are. And if the Mets don't pick it up soon, it's not going to be a good look at all. This week on Fox, I've got Red Sox at Yankees. So that's a home game for me. It'll be at Yankee Stadium. And yes, if Aaron Judge is healthy, there might be another opportunity for me to interview him post-game, assuming he does something big. Now, some have suggested, and yes, I'm dwelling on this subject a little bit. Some have suggested I stand on a box when interviewing Aaron Judge. Well, first of all, that's only going to get me, what, halfway there? Second of all, everyone watching. You guys have watched me for a long time on Fox. This is my 18th season. I think by now you know I'm short. So, there's no box. You guys will just have a field day with that. Oh, look at this. Ken's faking it now. No, no box. No ladder. No anything like that. All right. Time now for the fan questions. Looking forward to these this week. Let's get started. First question this week, and we're calling this segment Grilling Ken. Post-Memorial Day, we're having a grill. Who is the most realistic option for the Yankees to upgrade their outfield? Actually, Julian, the answer to that is Harrison Bader once he gets healthy. But if you're looking for a left fielder, and you probably are, because the Yankees have not solved that one just yet, there will be some options at the deadline, maybe not great options. One I'm thinking of is Randall Grichik. Another one possibly 
This guy's not a left fielder, but he could certainly play center. Cody Bellinger. The Yankees have patched it together really well. Jake Bowers had the two-home run game on Saturday. Franchi Gordero gave them a lift early, four home runs in, what, the first 10 days or so of the season. Greg Allen is with them now. They've done some things, and they've done okay. But perhaps they will be looking for someone at the deadline as well. Maybe Oswaldo Cabrera comes back and makes an impact. Next question comes from Cornelius. Cornelius asks, is this trade deadline going to require a massive overpay to get any quality pitching? As much as I want the Orioles to make a move, the market is screaming for them to wait until the offseason when pitchers are plentiful and they'll have a surplus of shortstops to trade. Cornelius, this is a really good question. And I have two thoughts on it. The first is there is going to be a scarcity of starting pitchers. And I wrote about this in the windup last week. Two reasons. Injuries for one. Pitchers are going down left and right. So the availability might not be what it normally would have been. Not that it's ever that great anyway. And the other thing is both races in the National League Central are kind of pitiful. No one's going to break away, it seems like, because the teams are too weak. So some of the sellers that you have in the NL Central, the potential sellers, might not sell because they might be in position where they think, ah, we can maybe sneak in and get a division title if we do some things right in the second half, maybe make a trade. I don't know if it's going to play out that way, but it certainly might. Now, for the Orioles, the Orioles are a team, as you mentioned, Cornelius, with a surplus of middle infielders. They've got Henderson at the major league level. He's actually playing third base for them. They've got Joey Ortiz, Jordan Westberg, these guys are in the minors. Kobe Mayo is a third baseman, I believe. He is in the minors as well. They have a surplus of infielders. At some point, if they're in contention, they're going to have to act. They're going to have to move. We said this last offseason, and they didn't do anything. Well, they did something. Kyle Gibson turns out to be a pretty good signing. So, yes, there's a scarcity. No, you never want to overpay to the extreme. But if the Orioles are in contention, they're going to need to be aggressive. Next question comes from John B. John B. asks, the Royals are an unwatchable mess. It seems most of their young players are not working out. Only the A's seem to be a worse organization. Is there any hope for this current group? I'm not sure, John, that there is. The Royals are 18 and 41. Now, that's not as bad as the A's, who are 12 and 49. But there's not a lot to like right now. Only two hitters on this team, one of them, Salvador Perez, has an OPS over 800. And the bigger problem, as always with this team, is their starting pitching. The young starters just have not developed the way the Royals envision. Now, Brady Singer was better yesterday, but his ERA is still in the sixes. grinky has been their best pitcher. And Grenke, of course, is nearing the end of his career. Jordan Lyles, a free agent, hasn't been that good. And their youngsters just haven't developed for injury reasons or other reasons the way they've envisioned. And the worst part of it for the Royals is that they're sort of trying here. They wanted this season to be a step forward, and it's not turning out that way. Oh, next question comes from David. He's got a great question. Favorite stadium food? Now, the truth is, I don't eat a lot at ballparks because I'm working at the game, and I've got myself wired up to an IFB, to a microphone, and uh, just am not in a position to run around and sample the various fares. But that said... When I go as a writer only, sometimes midweek, 
My favorite foods have been, well, it's easy really, Boog's Barbecue at Camden Yards. Now this is where I worked for many, many years. So when I was at the Baltimore Sun, yes, I would indulge in Boog's Barbecue without needing to worry about being on TV. That's number one. Number two, and I don't know if this still exists, but I imagine it does. I haven't eaten it in years. The Cha-Cha Bowl at San Francisco's Oracle Park. It's the Orlando Cepeda standout, I think in left field. A listener, you guys can correct me if the Cha-Cha Bowl no longer exists. I'm confident it does. It was quite popular, but those are the two. The Boog's Barbecue, the Cha-Cha Bowl. Thanks to everyone for the fan questions. Thank you for viewing. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. And of course, from a podcast perspective, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is Fair Territory. We'll be back next week. Have a great week, everyone. Spicy Ball is back for BetMGM sports players. Download the BetMGM sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Sign up and deposit into your newly created account and place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if it loses. If the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Got to use that promo code SPICYBALL. Always bet responsibly. Gambling problem or concern? Call 1-800-GAMBLING.